to order at 6.32 p.m. Uh, first thing, as always, uh, please say here when I say your name, uh, Vice Chair Jory. Here. Commissioner Gabby. Here. Uh, Commissioner MJ. Here. Um, and then Commissioner Melentha. Here. And Commissioner Chloe. Here. I believe Michelle, both Jonathan and Michelle has excused absences tonight. Uh, for staff, do we have Lynn? Okay, Human Services Manager Jen. Here. Human Service Coordinator. I heard a bark at the same time, but I'm guessing that was me. Here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he's present. Perfect. <laughs> That's a perfect coincidence. Um, I do not have a dog, so not me. <laughs> uh, and then Youth Services Coordinator Reggie. Here. And then Human Services Coordinator Amanda. Here. Okay. And I believe I will read the land acknowledgement tonight. So. Um, Do you need me to pull it up? Yes, please. Or okay. let me see if I can find it. Ah, I, I have it. One second. Okay, we acknowledge that the Southern Salish Sea region lies in the unceded and ancestral land of the Coast Salish peoples, the Duwamish, Muckleshoot, Dialup, Skykomish, Snoqualmie, Snohomish, Squaw. Suquamish and Tulalip tribes and the other tribes of the Puget Sound Salish people. And, the, and that present day city of Kirkland is in the traditional heartland of the lake people and the river people. We honor with gratitude the land itself, the first people who have reserved treaty rights and continue to live here since time immemorial and their ancestral heritage. All right. Who would like to read the next land acknowledgement for the April meeting? Right. Thank I can do it. Awesome. All right. So first we have approval of the February 28th minutes. Uh, motion to approve the February 28th minutes. Okay. I there is a motion. Do I hear a second? I will second it. Thank you. Any further discussions? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Abstentions? Motion carries. Thank you. Um, next, we have items from the audience. So, Maggie, do we have any guests for tonight? We, we do have a guest. Um, if you are interested in um, speaking and addressing the commission, if you could raise your hand, I'll let you know or let us know. Um, we'll invite you to speak. Uh, if not, we'll just give a, a, a moment or two. If I don't see anything, we'll continue. Uh, hi, my name's Irene. I'm joining uh, from Essentials First in Bellevue tonight. Um, and I think I'm presenting later, but I wanted to take the opportunity to say hi and let you all know I'm here. Okay. So I just see a note from um, our guest attendee they are just listening this evening so welcome welcome for listening in appreciate your presence 
Okay, so uh, seeing, hearing um, that there's no speaking tonight, so the items from the audience period is now closed, uh, and all attendees are welcome to stay throughout the session. So next, uh, we have an education session. So we are excited to kick off our first education session of the year by welcoming Essentials First to share with the commission an overview of the agency that's and the services provided to the residents in Kirkland and the East Side. So please join me in welcoming Irene Mueller, Community Engagement Coordinator tonight. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I apologize for my unconventional background. I live out in the country and our power went out about half an hour ago. So I am parked in the middle of the pasture that has service when there is no internet. Um, so that I can reach you all. And of course, my phone is also low. I'm having my partner bring me the adapter for my car charger. But if I blip out, that's why I apologize. Um, but thank you for having me. Like uh, folks said, I'm from Essentials First. We are a nonprofit organization based in Bellevue, but serving the greater Puget Sound region, which includes uh, Kings, Nahomish, Pierce, and Skagit counties for the most part. Um, but always expanding. Sorry, my cat got him with me and I can't get him out. Um, I'm gonna try and figure out if I can share my slides directly with you. I don't know if I will have the bandwidth, but I'm gonna give it a try and see if it will let me. And if not, I will just speak off the cuff. Um, so a little bit about Essentials First. We were founded in 2017 by youth volunteers as Kits for Peace. Um, and we grew from there to a 501c3 nonprofit founded in 2018 and then in 2021 rebranded as Essentials First, expanding our mission from serving uh, largely the unhoused population with smaller kits of things that can be taken with you and used on the road and expanding into also uh, providing essential household and hygiene products and kits for households throughout the region. Uh, many refugee households also still many folks experiencing housing loss, housing insecurity who are underhoused, a lot of youth. We partner with school districts, faith communities, other organizations, community networks, really anybody that we can um, in order to reach as many community members as we can. Um, so we do this through distribution of kits directly through our drop-in center and through partners. We also have a bulk distribution program where we partner with food banks and are able to distribute things uh, through those places folks already have access to. And then the third facet of our mission uh, addresses the systemic causes of hygiene access inequity. And our goal is to eventually uh, steward the creation of policy solutions at the local, county, and state levels so that there is uh, services provision in those budgets for this essential need for folks. So we are grateful that we can provide a solution for now, but we're aware that it's a band-aid for a systemic issue that needs to be addressed at its root. So that's a part of our mission as well. Um, I am not able to get my slides to share. So what I think I'm going to do is I'm just going to talk and then I will send those via email as soon as I have email again. Um, I apologize. Irene, it's living sorry, out in the six has this down. Yeah. Can I interrupt you for a second? Is there a way oh. that you can share it outside of the SharePoint? I tried to open I, that's it. That's what I'm it... trying to figure out how to do. Okay. Because I thought I, I thought I had downloaded it and was trying to attach a copy, but then it told me it was too big. But I don't know, like normally it sizes okay. it down when you download it. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, like, did I not download it or did it try to uh, send the non-downloaded version? So I'll keep fiddling with it while I chat just in case I can get it to work. Um, yeah, thank you all for sharing with me. May also interrupt. Yeah. Um, I put in the chat, but I just want to thank you for being here. But on top of that, you're, you're really going the extra mile. So 
think everyone that's been through Zoom understands, and we're we're just grateful that you're here with us. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm very excited to be here, and I appreciate you all giving me the grace to be here how I can right now. Um, but I'm passionate about what we do, and I'm always excited to get to talk about it. So I appreciate talking to y'all today. Um, let's see, I'm trying to like mentally revisit what's on my slides. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about our three program areas. Um, one of the things that we end up talking to groups like yourselves a lot about, um, municipalities and county governments, is our community kits program, where we assemble these kits that have a household and hygiene essentials like shampoo, toothpaste, menstrual supplies for people with periods, shaving supplies, deodorant, wipes. Um, we often have things like diapers and child care supplies. We also try to carry elder care supplies because we know we have many multi-generational families in our service population. Um, in 2022, our average household size was four, but we also had many households that were five, six, seven, eight upwards. Um, so we have many large households and larger families that, um, and we also see folks coming back a lot. In 2022, we saw a really big upswing in the same families returning um, to the community program, largely through our Twin Center, but sometimes come to events more than once as well. So we're grateful to see that folks are starting to recognize uh, our logo. You know, they see those blue bags full of supplies and they know that they can come get what they need. Um, we do also customize our kits as much as we possibly can. We have a food pantry with culturally appropriate foods in it, since often food banks don't always carry things that, um, you know, the, the oatmeal and peanut butter of other cultures. You know, often food banks are set up to feed folks the way that, uh, you know, the, the mainstream American diet is assumed to be and that many Americans do not eat that way. And that is, so we want people to be able to get their comfort foods, familiar foods, be able to cook things the way that they would like to um, and feed their families in a way that's familiar and appropriate. So we do also do our best to have those things on hand so we can provide them for families, especially refugee families that don't have other ways to get that. Um, and we will do things like, you know, larger families, we add more um, household essentials so that because we know there's more laundry involved, right? Anybody with kids knows that the laundry never ends. Um, you know, folks who have jobs that, you know, they get really dirty at work or they need certain kinds of cleaners for themselves or their clothes in order to stay healthy in the work environment that they're in, things like that. So we do our best to customize. We have um, hair care products for all different hair textures and all different cultural hair care practices. So that, again, we just want to make sure that what we're offering folks is reflective of their individuality, of their dignity as human beings, because we know that, you know, this is not a gift that we're giving them. This is an essential basic need that we're trying to help folks meet because everybody deserves to have these things and be able to take good care of their bodies and their homes and their families. Um, so that's the Community Kids Program. We are expanding it this year to include pantries. So we're opening one, our first one in front of our office in Bellevue, and it's going to be sort of like a little free library or a little pantry a little food pantry, um, but slightly larger because our products are slightly larger. And our goal here is to create um, an even lower barrier access point for these services for folks who maybe work during our office hours, maybe have a communication barrier of any kind or for any reason are not comfortable walking into a storefront and talking to somebody at a desk and asking for something, but would still like to be able to access these basic essentials. So we're going to create our first one this spring, but we're hoping that this will be a program we can pilot at our office where we can keep a close eye on it and work out the kinks in the process and then replicate this, especially at existing cultural centers like libraries, school district offices, transit centers, places where people are already around so that they're also not having to make an additional trip. Um, on a similar note, our bulk distribution program also aims to utilize existing transportation infrastructure like Food Lifeline, who helps uh, distribute large quantities of food to food banks. 
Um, and then also utilize existing food bank infrastructure for distribution so that we can all combine our efforts rather than replicating labor to reach the same populations. Um, it allows folks to get um, to meet more of their needs where they're already going through providers may already be familiar and comfortable with. And it also allows us to support food banks in their mission of meeting the needs holistically of their communities without them having to spread their resources thinner to try and meet this additional non-food need. Um, especially with the food, non-food uh, funding barrier in many, many, many grant processes, we find both us and them struggling with, you know, there's all these resources, but some are for you and some are for us, and we're trying to reach the same folks and meet basic needs. And so we're able to collaborate in that way, um, which has been really powerful. We had a very successful pilot program in the last year and a half um, with several food banks, both in King County and up in Skagit County. Um, and we found that it also allows food banks to utilize the hygiene resources we offer through existing programming. So they already had something similar to Meals on Wheels, but a little more holistic, where it's you know going and checking in on local elders and seeing what they need and uh, bringing food and also other things. And so it means that uh, you know Essentials First partnering with Helping Hands in Skagit Valley means now there's also a lot of housebound uh, seniors and disabled folks who have access to essential hygiene resources through that existing community network, as well as the folks who actually come into the food bank to pick up food. Um, let's see. And then our third facet advocacy, I won't dwell on quite as much. It's mostly happening at the state level to begin with, but our hope is to be introducing policy next session in partnership with a coalition of other organizations uh, to expand social services funding to provide for the hygiene need that already exists and to do so without further uh, burdening the existing support. So we don't want folks trying to, we don't want to just make it so you can spend your SNAP dollars on non-food non essentials. We wanna make sure there's more SNAP dollars for everybody so that they can still, you know, access the amount of food and you know, the amount of food resources that they're already able to access plus able to access this additional resource. So our hope is to build on, again, existing funding and social services infrastructure so that we can um, address that need more widely because we know it exists everywhere. Um, our team is currently made up of, our so our founders were youth when they started it. They were high school kids and they are now all in college, but they're all, I think all of them who were involved in the founding are still on our board. Many of them are on our leadership team. Um, we have a lot of representation both on our staff and our board and in our constituency in the Muslim community and many of our financial supporters are in the Muslim community, but we partner with groups of all faiths um, from all locations and all different organizational structures. Um, we have rotaries and scout troops and uh, corporate service corps like Starbucks um, who come and help us out and help pack kits, help transport things, help with distribution. Um, so we continue to expand our network and try to find new and creative ways to partner um, with the rest of our community so that again we can reach as many folks as possible with both increasing awareness of the fact that this need exists which often gets overlooked and also I think she cut out. Is that is that right? Okay. We'll wait a bit. Is there a way to let her know? Yeah. Like a text or something. Do we have her phone number? Okay. Thank you. Um, if her phone ran out of battery, then she wouldn't be able to get a message anyway, presumably. Uh, 
Okay. Well, maybe we could talk about questions uh, that we would ask her when she, if she gets back or anything we want to discuss. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, certainly. That's that's a good idea, Jory. I, I was mainly interested in just kind of lessons that they've learned, you know, through the last couple of years and what um, now that we've kind of transitioned into this kind of new normal, like what are some kind of new, new needs are they seeing that that uh, we haven't been seeing in the past couple of years. I, I do want to mention just as background information um, on the food portion that recently um, there was an end in the SNAP program to additional funds for folks for food resources. The average somewhere between, I think it's like 75 and $100 for folks locally. So that additional food assistance through SNAP has gone away. That was a pandemic provision, additional funds that were given to folks. Um, and the amount varied, but that's an additional, just as background, that that has happened just recently. Got it. Thank you. Well, more than a question, I had a comment because I've heard uh, good comments about the work that they are doing. Um, I have been hearing uh, also. Uh, with the, uh, I know people for, for tomorrow and they are partnering with, with Essential First and they have a person for, for tomorrow, I think there on Fridays to help people that uh, speak Spanish. So I think it's a collaboration that they are doing with them. And, and I think it's very good. And, and what I've been told is that they are no, no, there are no barriers for people to get what they need. I mean, it's, it's, and for me, that is, that is very basic, specifically for people that are afraid to go and ask for things. And then you start asking them for all kinds of documents and things. So I, I've heard that it's, it's a very low barrier uh, service to getting food and other essentials. So I, it's more a comment that I've heard from the community than a question. Okay. What I wanted to share with you all. That's good to hear. Thank you. Um, I think while we're waiting, um, while we need to kind of come back, if there are no further kind of questions or kind of brainstorming um, uh, questions, then let's go ahead and move ahead just so that we, we keep our momentum. Um, Jen. Would you like to give some, I think that I believe the next agenda would be program updates that received one-time COVID-19 relief funding in 2022. Uh, that is not the next agenda item. What's We're that? looking at agency performance review for 2022. Oh, sorry. I am on the wrong thing. Yes. <laughs> Gildas is trying to catch me off guard. <laughs> I was looking, I clicked open the PDF for the minutes from last month and I'm literally reading off of it. So yes, um, yes, agency performance for 2022. Jen and Reggie will be with the tracker and dashboard. Thanks, Gildas. Um, if folks can just help us out, if Irene does jump back on, if you can just flag us, because it's hard to see when sharing screens. And Annie, I'll ask if you can just monitor email because I know she was communicating with us there. And is this showing up okay for yep. everybody? Okay, great. 
Okay. So as Gildas mentioned, um, this is something that we do each year um, at the end of the grant performance cycle. So taking a look at each of the programs that um, we allocated funding for and really looking at kind of their progress over the year as well as impact. Reggie, I'll have you jump to the next slide. So just a little bit of background. Um, I know in your packet, um, there's a lot of information in there around service units, outcomes, residents served, um, the dashboard, as well as narratives. And so just to kind of take a step back before we dive into those materials, what staff do, I'm going to pause. Thank you. Irene, are you back? I am. I'm sorry about that. I ran and got a different charger and it seems to be working better so far. But if y'all have moved on, it's also okay. No, no. I, nope. Again, so incredibly sorry about all this. <laughs> um, but is it okay to just jump back in? I was Absolutely. getting to the end of the, the slides anyway for question time, but um, yeah, I'm trying to remember where I was at. Um, anyway. So I went over our three program areas. That's a little overview of our team. Our staff is currently expanding. So I'm now here full-time doing communications and fundraising, which is new for us. That's something that our core admin team had previously been handling. And so we're moving into a more strategic phase where we're able to um, you know, pursue more and more sustainable funding sources so that we can provide more and more consistent programming and widen the community that we're able to collaborate with, both in terms of raising awareness and uh, dispersing the resources that we are able to help folks access, and hopefully ultimately eliminating this problem altogether together. Um, so I normally have a big slide up that has a bunch of organizational logos on it that shows you people that we partner with. But just to give you an idea, we partner with lots of city governments and county governments, organizations of all sizes, um, both regarding human services. And then we're also beginning to build partnerships with uh, manufacturers and distributors so that we can create as short a path as possible between things being manufactured and being in the hands of community just to make it a sustainable process. So uh, I think this is the part where I take questions. Um, I don't think I forgot any of my imaginary slides, but if there's any gaping holes in my narrative, please feel free to point them out and I will do my best to fill them. Um, and I'd be happy to answer any questions you have. Okay. Um, I believe we, we actually brainstormed a couple of questions. So, uh, Perfect. I think Jory has one and then Gabby has, has a, has a, has a feedback. And then I, I also have one. So why don't we go with Jory and then Gabby and then, and then myself. I actually don't have a question. I, I just want to say thank you. I know I said this like multiple times, but um, yeah, they, with the phone cutting on everything, like again, we've been there and done that and just thanks again. Thank you so much. Your patience is very appreciated. Uh, well, I, I was just telling the group that I have heard about your organization through another organization that is for tomorrow that I, I think is Mm -hmm. partnering, partnering with you on Fridays to have a Spanish speaker in the place where you are uh, giving away the, the goods. And I would like to commend you for that, you know, trying to get that networking and helping and collaboration with other agencies to have additional resources so people can feel comfortable to speak in the language. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it helps eliminate barriers. 
And yeah. also, I would like to commend the fact that I have been hearing also from the community that you are a very low or no barrier service. So I, I think that's very important. And uh, I, I want to thank you for doing that because um, sometimes organizations, you know, in, in the effort of trying to have maybe more control of things, they without maybe wanting it, establish some kind of barriers and you have not put those barriers for people to get the services. So thank you very much. And if may, may I ask an, an additional question, Yildas? Of course. Uh, and um, well, it came to my mind to ask you, what are you doing as far as community outreach? I mean, how maybe, as you said, you have started or you are kind of not as well known as food banks or, or other those organizations. So what are you doing for you know communities out there that might be in need of receiving your services uh, to know that you exist and that you are an alternative? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, so we have a much more grassroots approach to marketing than many nonprofits our size do in the sense that we start with disseminating information through our organizational partners. And then we also do, we have a, I just came on board in the last few months, so we're starting to do monthly email updates and have a list people can subscribe to if they want more in-depth stuff. We do outreach directly through uh, schools and community centers and other places that are similar to food banks in that they're places lots of people go. Sometimes that means uh, posting physical flyers. Sometimes that means we contact outreach staff there who do a lot of referrals so that they know they can refer to us. Uh, we partner directly with a lot of like domestic violence and family shelters, a lot of emergency shelters, a lot of programs that help people get into housing so that we're able to both help folks on their journey wherever they're at and then also be able to provide them with larger amounts of products once they have maybe a new house to clean or a place to put larger bottles of stuff. And so we do our best to partner with um, to partner with people wherever they're at. And so even as people's needs change and families move around the area, we try to stay connected as best we can. Um, and we're moving into having the capacity to also try and do some media outreach. So we're going to try and like do some interviews and start creating some sound bites and some little bits of video and stuff that we can try to push out a little bit more widely so that people can happen across us on Instagram and know that, you know, they can hop on a bus and come get something out of the pantry or know that there's an event coming up at a library near them or know that they can come volunteer or even just be aware that this issue exists. Um, so that's mm -hmm. kind of where we're at. Right. And I mean, my question would be um, just over the past couple of years, you know, doing at the, the height of pandemic, um, you know, what have you learned? And also now that we're kind of transitioning out into this new normal, like, are there kind of other kind of unique needs that you're seeing that, um, that you didn't really see in the, in the past couple of years? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I would say that things definitely shift when workplace and uh, and school standards shift. So like what what folks need when they're going to school in person is different than when they're going to school at home. Folks still want to stay clean and keep themselves clean, but the way we present ourselves changes based on where we're at, right? Um, so there definitely were some distinct shifts in the workforce and in educational environments over the last couple of years. And we've seen that just sort of fluctuate in what things go out as quickly. Um, the funding landscape has changed a lot for us as an organization because with the pandemic, there was a lot of emergency aid that came up. There were a lot of big allocations really quickly to try and meet all of these emergent needs. And now we're in this sort of 
figuring it out phase as you know we being the infrastructure of the world of you know okay this it, it didn't really end but it's changed what does it mean long term how do we function in a sustainable way how do we reach people without that urgency of we're all in the middle of this big crisis but these needs still exist um, one thing that i found really interesting in reviewing the research when i was on board it is that um the the one of the national data agencies i can't remember without my slide but they did they did research when um when stipends went out, when, what's the word I'm looking for? When everybody got not enough money one time from the government. Anyway, when everybody got checks during the, the pandemic, um, <clears throat> the most, the thing people bought first almost every time were hygiene and household products. People want cleaning products, people want hygiene supplies, and there, there just isn't an existing assistance for that. And so we definitely saw a concentration of that need during the pandemic when just there was less resources. So many people were out of work. So many people were suddenly disabled or ill or caring for ill family members, caring for children at home that weren't at home previously, et cetera. Um, so we definitely saw a shift there and are trying to continue to operate from that awareness that at, even as the need fluctuates, it is so present for folks that when you hand somebody cash money, that's what they do with it. You know, maybe even before people go out and buy things that we consider luxury items like, you know, cigarettes and clothing and toys and shoes and stuff. People want soap, shampoo, razors, toothbrushes, deodorant. They want to go to work in school smelling clean and feeling like themselves. Um, so that was a really, really strong reminder for us, and we're trying to kind of incorporate that understanding into our programming ongoing as well. Um, any other questions for Irene? I, I have a follow-up. I actually have a quick question. <laughs> yeah, you go ahead, Annie. Yeah, Just okay. going on what you were saying. Um, so then why would it be more beneficial? So why not just give folks then gift cards? with the ability to choose the items on their own, um, what they need, how much they need, <clears throat> as opposed to providing actual items and also thinking about environmental impact of especially the small items that you're um, uh, providing for folks. That's a great question. Um, it was kind of a both and answer. We do provide gift cards in some cases. So we do provide grocery store gift cards when we're able to secure them. And we also provide folks with gas gift cards so that they can get to the office and pick up kits if that's a barrier. Um, we also are often able to get things at a lower cost per item when we buy them in very large quantities or we get in-kind donations from companies like Amazon where they send us huge cases of things. And so that it's hard for us to pass along those discounts to folks, even if we're able to give them the financial resources to get things at store prices. So I think efficiency wise, I personally and sort of strategically think that our bulk distribution program is a much more sustainable embodiment of meeting this need long term because we do because we don't have 25 different families driving to one office location to pick up kits, right? People can get it where they're already going. And similarly with the gift cards, like you were saying, then they can get it at the grocery store when they're already there. Um, so our hope, we're, we kind of try to maintain multiple strategies, which sometimes is hard because it's a lot easier to sell the idea that you do one thing really well, but we continue to do many things as well as we can because as you're saying, you know, for some folks, it is much more dignified and much more appropriate and fits a lot better with their lifestyle and their needs to be able to go into Fred Meyer with a $50 gift card and buy stuff for their family for the month. And so we do try to provide that opportunity as much as we're able to. Um, and we have found it a lot more doable to sustainably acquire the things than the money to let everybody buy them themselves just for funding reasons, because there are many companies that don't offer us uh, gift cards, but they do offer us large cases of shampoo and toothbrushes and hand sanitizer and whatnot. 
Um, so it's, I think the short answer is we're leveraging the resources that we've had the most ready access to so far. But also that I think what I'm hearing under that is, is the very present reality that independence and agency are very important. And so we are definitely doing what we can to move in that direction long-term as well. So folks can shop for what they want. Great, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Great. And then my my last question, Irene, is like you mentioned that there's, there's um, impact to kind of all these kind of dollars that are, that are not sustainable, you know, from the pandemic. So like how, how is your organization being impacted by kind of this shift in, you know, the, on the revenue side of the, of the program? That's a great question. Um, we are blessed in the sense that we were never primarily reliant on emergency funds because we were established before the pandemic and sort of have grown through it, but did not come to be during it. So we didn't initially fund using emergency funds, if that makes sense. Because I know there are some, there are many nonprofits and mutual aid groups that were created in response to needs during the pandemic and are now in this position of having their entire financial infrastructure shift as we switch out of emergency mode in terms of government funding. Um, so for us, there are grants that we could apply for then that we that don't exist anymore because they were COVID-19 specific, but we have largely been funded by private community donations anyway. Um, and so the fluctuation has been more with overall giving trends on an individual basis versus the availability of government funding on an emergency or non-emergency basis. In the last 18 months or so, we've been getting more and more funding at the government level. And my goal as our fundraising lead right now is to continue pushing in the direction of of as large and long-term of grants as possible, like chasing individual gifts, I think is a great way to engage folks. And I don't think that it's not a good strategy, but I think part of our strategy needs to be figuring out how to underpin. We wanna have sustainable, consistent infrastructure. We need to find sustainable, consistent funding. So we're, our goal is to move toward more, more large institutional level funding rather than relying so heavily on individual gifts, because we also know that those fluctuate with the economic reality, which is fluctuating right now pretty pretty big. Um, and also, like I mentioned earlier, I think we're trying to move away from having to go through the full cycle of bringing in the dollars and then sending the dollars back out to get the stuff to then send the stuff out to folks. So wherever possible, we're doing our best to either connect directly with manufacturers and you know get in-kind donations so we skip those steps of and taxing dollars, et cetera, um, in between. Um, and also just again, sustainability-wise, if something gets on a truck at the factory and goes to a food bank, that's less gas, less labor, um, less time, less lag between the stuff being created and it getting to who needs it. So um, Great, thank you. Absolutely, thank you all for your great questions. I appreciate it. Yes, are there any other questions for Irene? All right, thank you so much, Irene, for taking the extra effort to uh, get on the uh, get on the call tonight. We really appreciate your time and and um, honestly your uh, impact and your organization impact to the community. So we really thank you for letting 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 us know what's on the ground and. Looking forward to speak with you another time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'll be sure to send those slides as soon as I have internet again. <laughs> Perfect. Thank Take you good care so of much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hey. Um, all right. Jen, back to the performance, agency performance. Yes. 
believe we're on slide two. Is that right, Reiki? Yeah. Okay. So we had talked about, there's a lot of information in the packet and that is able to summarize different program impacts over the last year. So for 2022, but I want to just take a step back to provide some additional context as to why some of those things are on there and how we got to where we're measuring those things with the programs. So once an agency receives notification that they are in fact receiving funding from the city, um, cities work together like we do with the application process to come up with metrics that are appropriate for the program. So this is definitely something the program staff lead, but cities try to streamline what is being reported to different cities if they're receiving different funding to really align our efforts in making sure that they're not reporting one way to Bellevue, one way to Kirkland, one way to Redmond. So the way that we do that is we have a shared reporting template that agencies use quarterly as well as annually to submit program data. So one of the things that we look at with programs is service units, residents served, and outcomes. So those are all things that they have to complete as part of their scope of work during the contracting process. So service units are tangible ways that they can measure the level of services that they're providing. So one example would be number of case management hours. So let's say it's a behavioral health agency and they say, with this amount of funding that we're receiving, we can provide 760 hours of case management. And so the measurement is one hour. And so each quarter they'll report on their progress towards that goal. Another example for a food bank would be pounds of food um, delivered or passed out each quarter. The next item that we look at is residents served. So this is specifically for each city. So let's say it's a food bank and they are supporting several east side um, cities. They would have a number for Kirkland, a number for Bellevue and a number for Redmond. And they would subsequently report on that when they're also uploading for their service units. So those are numbers we track quarterly. We also ask them to look at outcomes. So essentially what is the impact through the work that staff is doing and potentially items you're distributing? What is the program goal? So outcomes tend to be some sort of percentage in order to track progress. So 65% of participants that receive a food item um, will not experience food insecurity, some, something like that. So, um, agencies submit these quarterly reports that kind of track that progress. And so Reggie's going to go into this more in depth, but that's what you see on the performance tracker of their progress over time. So we get a quarterly snapshot, but at the end of the year, we're looking at overall, how did the program do? How many residents were served? Number of service units, things like that. We also, at the end of the year, also ask for a demographic report, which you see on the dashboard that we'll talk about in a little bit, which looks at a variety of um, identities and backgrounds to see who's receiving these services, who's benefiting from City of Kirkland providing funding to these different agencies. It also allows us to really look at our progress when looking at the types of organizations and the programs that we're supporting and who they're serving and who they're serving really well, and maybe potential gaps in helping us for future funding, looking at, you know, 
we're seeing, you know, a certain group, maybe they're underserved, and maybe this is something we need to look at and bring back to the commission and looking at priorities for the future funding round. So the last piece that was in your packet was narratives. And so this really allows kind of agencies to marry quantitative data with qualitative data, right? So numbers are not everything. Data is very powerful. And also there are things that you cannot include in numbers, right? So I think as you were most likely reading through the narratives, you saw some of the items that maybe we can't see in that data. Potentially an agency is really struggling with chronic understaffing, staff retention issues, and their numbers are low despite their effort in being able to provide those services. So it allows us on kind of the funder side to really understand what's going on in the services landscape. So all that to say, we use all this information to track a program's progress towards its annual goals. Next slide. So as I mentioned, these are the two ways that right now we're looking at agency performance on an annual basis. So the first is the performance tracker, which Reggie is going to go into detail on. And this is a fairly new tool. So for those of you who are on the commission last year, you might remember seeing this. It was the first time that it was brought to the commission. And that came out of a request from the commission to be able to have a visual tool that you could quickly see from the 70 plus programs that received funding. How did they do? Did they meet their goals? How close were they? And so Reggie's going to walk through kind of the color coding. Um, and of course, you can ask any questions, but again, gives you a really quick view and snapshot of the different programs that Kirkland funded um, and how they did. The second one um, is the dashboard, which is a little bit more external facing. So the performance tracker is more internal for city staff use. And we're, of course, bringing it to you all. But it's hard, I think, as a community member or constituent to kind of understand what they're looking at. So the dashboard is also a fairly new tool um, and is also a visual tool that came out of resolution 5434, um, which was adopted by city council after the murder of George Floyd as a way of how do we hold different investments by the city accountable to the community. So one of the resulting um, kind of outcomes of that was a human services dashboard. So again, Reggie's going to go through this, but it shows the investments um, by goal area um, for, I think it dates back to 2019. And you can see by each program, the different folks that were served and different metrics available. And so that is currently on the city website and anyone has access to that information. And so we've recently updated that with the 2022 data that we have. So I'm going to pass it off to Reggie from here. Okay. Um, I know when I um, put together all of that, those tables, it was overwhelming. It's very colorful and everything like that. So uh, I just chose one example that we can just walk through really um, more simplistically. Uh, as Jen mentioned, the this piece, the performance tracker basically um, looks at three different things, the service units, residents served, and outcomes. So first I'll talk about um, the service units. 
So this one, the example I used was for LifeWire, and this is their survivor advocacy services. Um, and for this agency or this program, they have two service units. Um, you can see here the measurements. Uh, and then they have the goal here listed at the end um, that they agree to when Jem said earlier, going into contract with us. Um, these are part of their their agreements that they are supposed to do. Uh, as far as the color coding goes, so what I did is basically came up with a formula um, that tracks for each quarter. Are, so for quarter one, are, have they reached about 25% for quarter two about you know, 50% and so on. Um, and these numbers here listed are cumulative, so it's not per quarter. Um, so you'll see that um, the numbers keep getting bigger, which they should. Uh, and then it, this is a great example. You can see for one of their service units, uh, they were they exceeded what they were supposed to do by, what is that, 30%. Um, whereas the advocacy piece, um, not so much so. And this is where the narrative piece is helpful for us because we can understand what was going on here. My guess on this one is probably COVID related and inability to, to get out there and, and meet with people, whereas they're probably getting inundated with phone calls um, because it, you don't have to be in person to do that. So any questions on this piece? Okay, um, so the next, Portion is the resident count. This is pretty much pretty straightforward. Uh, again, these are agreed to at the time of um, the contract signing. And so you can see that they were uh, very much on on target here uh, in the overall. It, it's more of a, a gradiated color from red to green. So it's not necessarily the the dots that you'll see, but obviously green is good and red is not so much. Um, the uh, third portion here is just outcomes, and um, this is reported at the end of the year, um, whereas the above um, data is given every quarter. So like the service units, the resident count will increase with each quarter. So we just add that in as they come along. Um, so outcomes, again, pretty straightforward. These are established prior to um, uh, well, as a part of the contracting process again, um, and you, they're on target or they're not on target. I think for the most part, agencies did great. Um, didn't see much in the way of of any red in that in those um, areas. Any questions about that? Okay, Jen's turn. All right. So as I mentioned, um, within the reporting requirements um, for the quarterly reports, we did ask agencies in 2022 to upload two narratives by the end of the year, um, with the exception if they were under their numbers to include additional narratives that would just help us understand. One of the philosophies that um, Kirkland has, given the fact that we are a reimbursement model, so meaning we pay based on the numbers that are provided. So we do want to try to understand why those numbers are potentially below target, recognizing that there is most likely, if not all the time, um, staff time and effort that's going into generating these numbers. And so we want to understand if a program is below target, why? And so this is where kind of the contract leads, which are Reggie, Annie, and Amanda, 
um, can really connect with agencies to understand what are some of the challenges you're seeing? Are there barriers? Is there anything we can do to help? Um, but just having that information is really helpful. Gabby. Uh, I'm sorry, do you want me to ask at the end? It's okay, go ahead. Um, I was looking at the numbers and I was kind of, uh, my question is about the um, outcomes. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the, in, uh, on some of them, it's the program has a, a number of enrolled people in that program maybe, and then the measure, and then the achievement, right? So, but for instance, sometimes the enroll portion is, very high and the measure is very low compared to the people enrolled but then uh, the target rate was within the goal because they were able to achieve i don't know maybe they, they were able to obtain information from the people they measure right mm -hmm. I, I don't know if i'm explaining myself so i, I was you know wondering they, they, most of these organizations have a, a green color in that area, although the enrolled versus the measured is significantly different. So I think if I, if I'm following, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the question is if they're not, you know, measuring hundred percent participation rate and let's say like a post program survey, how are they getting those metrics? I don't think any of the agencies or programs that we fund assume kind of a 100% participation rate. Um, that's often something that's not a requirement in order to receive services. And there's a lot of different reasons why participants won't provide that feedback or participate, which does make it hard to measure everyone. So the percentages that you do see is based on who they received responses from, if they used a survey, or if they provided feedback directly to their case manager. Was that your question? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So kind of jumping into the more specifics around the narratives, I know there were a lot of pages we wanted to pull kind of the most impactful narratives that we felt um, were helpful for staff. And so I think some of the trends that you most likely saw as you were reviewing the narratives is COVID continues to impact agencies at a staffing level, at a program level, and just a general fatigue in being able to kind of continue to operate at a higher demand of services with fewer resources, right? So Irene had mentioned kind of the funding cliff that agencies are starting to see. There were a lot of programs that received a pretty historical amount of one-time funding. And that takes additional staff time and staff effort to track, to distribute, um, as well as also seeing a higher need of um, support for participants. So one of the things that we saw, um, and this is why we ask for narratives, is overall participants are enrolling in programs, whatever type of program that is, and they tend to have more needs at a higher, more chronic level. So they may be accessing, let's say for LifeWire, they may be accessing um, services with a case manager, but in order for them to achieve housing stability, they need a much more comprehensive amount of additional resources in order to successfully transition into stable housing. So that case manager is spending more time with them in order to connect them with those resources. 
all those other resources are more strained in order to kind of successfully transition, graduate them out of the program. So several of our agencies were in fact under kind of resident serve numbers, but through the narratives we learned, oh, on average, you have folks that are spending, a, you know, three additional months, which is a pretty significant amount of time, which means that a case manager can't take on an additional person until that person graduates or moves on. And so that's where narratives are really helpful for us. It can help us understand and say, they're doing the work. We're just seeing different numbers, but this is a learning piece. This isn't a reason to not pay them for the services that they're providing. Um, and then the final piece that I think really rang true through the narratives is staff retention and turnover. Um, we're kind of seeing this pretty significant shift from folks leaving the sector entirely, um, whether it's, you know, behavioral health and they're moving into private practice or they're burnt out. So they're making a total career pivot. We're seeing that across the board at all of our different organizations, regardless of the service that they provide. So that's creating additional challenges on some of the numbers that we see, as well as the outcomes or being able to have staff to conduct those post surveys, right, Gabby? So they don't have staff to do that follow-up because they're just trying to support those that are in their program. That's where we start to see some of those differences in numbers. And so the narratives really help paint a better picture of what's going on at the provider level. Okay, I'm gonna um, just run through the dashboard as Jen mentioned is it's pretty massive. Um, you know, and if you can't sleep at night, if you want to go through and click a bunch of buttons, you can get lots of information. I know, MJ, you're a big data person, so there's lots of information there for you to look at. Um, so the landing page for the, the dashboard um, starts out with an overview, pretty much what Jen had said earlier um, about the reasonings for the dashboard. And then it it goes it's grouped in years, and so I just pulled up the the most recent one for 2022. So you'll see the landing page for 2022 um, is what the it's on the left side here, um, and this is just a, a snapshot of of everything um, for all of the agencies that we we funded um, for 2022 as far as the um, racial and ethnicity goes um, for their programs. And then below the snapshot chart, there is all the, are all the different goal areas that we have. So the five different that you should be very familiar with. Um, most of you, after reviewing <laughs> all of the applications, uh, so I just pulled as an example um, goal area two, and you'll see this is the landing page for for that area. Um, it will give again the same snapshot as the first um, major overview, but just breaking it down based on um, the goal area. Um, and then to go into more detail, um, I'll just give an example of what it looks like on the actual dashboard. So below that, that page I just showed the, on the right, you'll see all the agencies are listed right below. Um, so for each agency, you'll have a, a brief overview dollar amount that we funded. And then if people want more information, they can click on the link to the agency. And then each of these demographics are tabs that you can click to see the information. So it, it, they're called accordion. So they'll come out in a, in a line of ones. So the first one is racial identity. So you can see here for the Boys and Girls Club um, for last year, 
uh, I'm going to guess they're mostly kiddos, um, all kiddos probably, um, that they were working with for last year. Um, the next uh, grouping is the age, and you'll see here, I was right, there's all the kids that participated last year. And then income, um, no surprise here that the, you know, 32, they had no idea because they're kids and they probably don't know either. Their parent got the information from their parents. And then the last category is gender identity, um, where they list how people identify as far as gender goes. Um, any questions on that? I tried to make it as straightforward as possible. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of information in there. Um, interesting stuff for sure. MJ, you have a question? Uh, yeah, I think this is probably something you folks don't have control over, but in terms of the gender categories, having transgender as a third gender sort of doesn't work because you're a man or a woman or non-binary and you're trans or cis, those are two different axes. Is that something where you're sort of trapped into how the city collects the data or some other organization? Okay. We are not trapped into how the city collects it. Um, it's something that we have to agree to with the other 16 cities that run the application and the reporting. So it is something that we are looking at for um, 25, 26, um, because we're contracting right now for 23, 24. It, it's a fairly large lift. Um, I also think that's a pretty simple ask if I'm just being honest. So, and it feels like it's more in alignment with a lot of the other data that we often see. Um, and it helps us better understand who we're serving as well. So that is something that I know is on the list as we look at 25, 26. Awesome. So if there are other pieces that y'all see in that of, ooh, that feels like a bit of a blind spot or have any feedback, it's really helpful for us to receive that information now ahead of the 2526 planning. So thank you, MJ. Great points. Any other questions for Jen and Reggie? Gabby. I uh, just would like to know if it is possible to have a, an update on how you're doing. I know it's been a lot of work for Jen and her team about the contracts and the the new the new cycle. And what can you tell us and how you guys are doing on that? And if you know if they are already these organizations that um, were awarded funds last year are, are way i mean they are they are receiving funds already or they are still you know setting up all the systems and programs that need to be set up because it's it's a lot of new organizations that are being funded what can you tell us about that or is, is it if it is if it is this the good time to say that kind of information or if you're going to share that in a future presentation sure i can tell you the team has rocked contracts for 2324 all of them, with the exception of Annie, who we call our contract countess, um, did, learned how to do it kind of in real time with the various contracts that we had. So it's been a pretty tremendous lift, um, but we're also in a really good place. So we have a few, like a handful amount of contracts that are not executed. Um, most of them are because there's some sort of 
interesting nuance, whereas one was fiscally sponsored and now they're moving to be fiscally independent. So we held executing that contract so we don't have to do duplicate work on the staff side and the agency side. Um, one of the other contracts that's not executed, you'll learn a little bit more in the next slide deck as to why we haven't executed that contract. Um, but we have, um, of the 73 programs that y'all funded, um, about half we run contracts directly through um, our staff and the city of Kirkland. The other half, we actually partner with several other Eastside cities and Bellevue holds the contract. Um, so there's different requirements that go into that, um, but it's a slightly different process. Um, but normally it's because they're receiving funding from six, seven cities. So they can hold one contract instead of seven different contracts. Um, it's the same reporting requirements. Um, it's just a little bit more streamlined um, and it tends to be agencies that have successfully contracted and are really familiar with the reporting. So um, the end of the first quarter ends in three days. So um, we actually just send out a reminder to agencies reminding them that they can upload their quarter one 2023 report um, starting April 1. So we tend to give um, until the 15th of the following month after the quarter concludes for programs to submit their reports. And then the team will kind of what we just talked about, they'll look at service units, they'll look at residents served and kind of see how agencies did for quarter one. And then we will administer payments for quarter one um, in between basically April 15th to April 30th. So great time that you asked that. I don't know if anyone else on the team has anything to add, but. Okay, any other questions for Jen and the agency performance with Reggie? I thought that was a really good dashboard. Uh, I'm very excited to look at it <laughs> with you all at some point in the future and certainly the, the public data tracker, like that was very, very good as well. So thank you for doing all that work. Okay, our final business item for tonight is the 1406 staff funding recommendations. So Jen, turning it back over to you for a summary and presentation. All right. Can you see the right slide or do you see the present the presenter view? Uh, it's the flipped. Okay. <laughs> of course it is. Give me a second. Give me one second here, sorry. Jen, for when I just did it, I did the display settings and was able to do it that way at the top. <clears throat> okay, display settings at the top. All right, that work? Okay, beautiful, thank you. Um, so I know we just mentioned this, why are some contracts not executed? And we're going to jump into one, what is House Bill 1406? Uh, some of you might remember it from the funding recommendations process because we did use this as a funding source to help um, fund some of our grants for 23-24. We're also going to talk about kind of 
how 1406 came to be um, and how the city authorized use of this type of tax. And then we'll kind of really hone in on what we're coming to you tonight um, with staff recommendations for funding because we do have some additional dollars available to see how we would like to use them. So first off, what is House Bill 1406? So House Bill 1406 is a bill that was passed in 2019 that allows local jurisdictions that can be either a city or a county to impose a shared sales and use tax. Um, and this was really an effort by the legislature to find additional dollars um, for different localities that they could use and leverage towards funding affordable housing or supportive housing. So the three specific areas that um, the bill does call out is around acquisition, rehabilitation, or construction of new affordable housing, funding operations and maintenance costs of new units of affordable or supportive housing, or providing rent assistance to tenants to ensure housing stability. So from an implementation standpoint, um, this was passed by the legislature in the summer of 2019, and it was a fairly quick turnaround um, for local jurisdictions to pass a resolution, basically saying that their councils um, wanted to authorize being able to um, implement this sort of tax. So Kirkland City Council did adopt um, the resolution and it's referenced there if you're interested in reading it um, in the fall of 2019. So ample time before the deadline. And then about nine months later, um, City Council adopted an ordinance to establish the tax. So kind of right after that, um, the legislature at their following legislative session um, passed a bill to authorize the tax, which would allow the jurisdiction to start collecting it. So this was right in the heart of the pandemic, and there were a lot of needs and requests and concerns about households, in particular low-income households, facing housing instability. Um, this is the summer of 2020, so there were a lot of folks that were dealing with layoffs or, you know, having to take unpaid time to take care of their children, you name it. And so the city manager allocated the tax dollars that had been collected thus far to support rent assistance efforts. So they earmarked them for human services. And over the last few years, we've been able to administer those dollars during COVID to really be able to respond effectively to the increased demand that we were seeing from not only agencies that have received rent assistance in the past, but also um, new agencies, as well as when the city ran its own program back in 2021. So kind of prior to the end of last year, um, there were a lot of conversations about kind of pivoting away and allocating those dollars towards ARCH. Uh, a regional coalition for housing, which um, the city invests dollars in, in building and preserving affordable housing here on the east side. But looking at the level of requests for 23-24 during the human services grant funding and this, uh, um, this commission asking for additional one-time funding to meet the increased dem demand that y'all saw from the applications, um, the city manager decided to keep the 1406 revenue earmarked for rent assistance via human services. So just a little walk down memory lane um, of what the commission recommended and what was approved by city council for 23-24. 
as I mentioned, 1406 um, is very restricted, so it can only fund rent assistance for households up to 60% area median income. So that area median income is a King County-based number. It's not something the city creates. Um, and for 23-24, the estimated revenue available was in the ballpark of about $250,000 per year. So for 23-24, the city received three different applications for rent assistance that you can see here for tomorrow, attain housing and um, MCRC. And as you can see what this group recommended and then what was eventually awarded for 23-24. So one of the things when we talk about estimated revenue is because this is based on a tax, it means that to our best efforts, we can estimate what that number might look like. But in actuality, once we crunch the numbers at the end of a year or the, at the end of a budget cycle, there's the potential that we overestimated or underestimated that revenue. So um, the positive is that we actually underestimated the dollars um, that were going to be collected um, within 21-22, the budget cycle. So um, we have been notified that there's additional dollars available and um, the city manager has again um, earmarked them for human services, so for rent assistance. And the current amount available um, that we're coming to you tonight with is just over $200,000. So what staff are recommending is of the three applications that we received um, for 23-24 funding, only one of those applications did not receive its full funding ask. So for tomorrow asked for $300,000 and they were awarded 169,000. Attain Housing and MCRC did receive their full asks. So um, we are recommending um, that we apply um, that $200,000 number, so split it into two. Um, that would allow us to add an additional $102,000 to their 23-24 award. So again, it would increase it um, to just under $300,000, so almost meeting their full ask. But since we know that this is an unmet need that we were not able to fully fund, um, we're coming tonight with the recommendation um, of the commission to vote to adjust that award allocation to for tomorrow. I'm gonna see what questions there are. A great presentation, Jen. And uh, my, my only question is really supportive of the ask. Um, have you gotten some pre prelim data of how they're doing in regards to kind of hitting their numbers performance-wise based on their grant application? Well, that's a great question. Um, so they, given how we structure contracts and how they provide services, they're actually already administering assistance to Kirkland households, even though our contract is not executed. The reason the contract is not executed is because we wanted to wait to hear from this group before we move forward with the contract, assuming that the number could change. Um, and we didn't want to have to go through the additional process of running an amendment. But I can tell you that For Tomorrow is a trusted partner for rent assistance. They've partnered with the city for multiple rounds of rent assistance the last couple of years. Um, and I think what's really 
I, I want to say relevant and important is kind of the accessibility of their services and how they use that to connect participants with the additional programs that this commission funded. So they do focus on the Latinx community as well as youth um, and are able to provide services in both Spanish and Portuguese. And like I mentioned, connect their participants with their life services program and their mental health gap therapy program, which are both programs that this commission recommended um, pretty significant levels of funding towards. So we don't have any data because we haven't received their quarter one report, but from what I hear, as we meet with them often, things are going well. And they're still seeing a pretty huge demand for rent assistance, in particular Kirkland, Bellevue, and Redmond. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, Gabby. Uh, I just would like to add a comment to your question, Gildas. May I, Jen? Of course. Um, maybe you don't have the data for, for tomorrow for this quarter, but they also did that work for King County in the previous year. They were uh, working with Ar ARPA. Am I pronouncing that? Ar ARPA funds? So they already have a track record of being um, reliable and fulfilling. Actually, what I know is when the the counties and the cities that they have been providing this service for right now they already have people in waiting list kind of hoping that you know a new cycle would open and they already have people in line even before knowing if they were going to be you know having any additional funds so it just wanted to add that to your question if that might help great context thank you so much gabby other questions for Jen and the staff recommendation? Okay. Um, as a next step, do we just say, do we need to make a motion or? Okay, so if there are no further questions and we're um, good with the staff recommendation, um, can I get a motion um, to amend uh, the, the dollar um, allocated to the for tomorrow based on the, um, what is this? Based yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make that motion. I, um, I don't have the exact wording, but basically motion to <laughs> make the amendment to the budget, uh, basically motion to approve the status recommendation. Yeah, 1406, yeah. Thank you. I second that motion. Thank you. Any further discussions? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Abstentions? Motions carry. Thank you so much, Jen. Um, also really great, great news. All right, uh, so that concludes our business for tonight. Uh, next, we have communication. So just wanted to check first with any commissioners want to do a report out to the group. Yes, Jory. Um, so uh, the Parks Exploratory Funding Committee is going to meet back on May 1st. And I don't have the email in front of me, but Basically, I think they're conducting, hopefully the music's not too loud. Um, the city of Kirkland, from my understanding, is going to conduct like polls or just get further feedback and reconnect with the Parks Exploratory Funding Committee. And how that relates to us is basically, um, 
the thing I mentioned before, but there was talks about how to infect the uh, Kata building and how to support that and other other ways that we could be more equitable in the community or considerations there, but that's uh, an update with that. Great, thank you so much, Jory. Other commissioner updates? Okay, uh, next staff reports or announcements. I have several. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the first is, I think we talked about this at the January meeting when we were looking at the calendar for the year. So one of the things that we do during the off year is schedule a joint meeting with the Human Services Commission and City Council. Um, we try to do that near the end of the year. So end of quarter three, early quarter, early quarter, it's late, early quarter four, um, so one, the commission has had a chance to hear from a variety of groups and organizations to kind of hear what you learn and take into the 25-26 round in kind of helping build your priorities. And so we time that meeting with council so you can share what you've learned over the last year and kind of help guide them and prep them for what the priorities are going to be for the next funding round. So we're currently looking at dates in the fall. So I wanted to see from this group um, if there are preferred dates and times. So what we try to do is city council has kind of their regular meeting, which starts at 730. And then they have what's called a study session, which is more conversational based and it allows for more time to spend on a certain item. And so what we normally do is schedule a study session time with council. So it starts at 530, which is an hour earlier. Um, and it's they don't meet on the same cadence that this group meets. So there's three options that we're looking at right now. So I want to get a sense from this group um, how we can plan that because council calendar fills up quickly. So the first one, they are on Tuesdays. So the first one is Tuesday, October 3rd at 5.30, Tuesday, October 17th, and Tuesday, November 21st. So I'll put those in the chat. That did not show up in a way that is very easy to read. I'm sorry. Let me redo that. So we do want to try to find a date that works for everyone. And I hope with this am amount of notice that folks can adjust their schedules accordingly. Um, it is something that I do think is more impactful in person. And I think most folks would agree that it would be better to have a conversation in person. Um, but we do have a hybrid option if possible, if folks are unable to make it for whatever reason. So are there any dates on that list that you're like, absolutely not, I cannot do that? Or is yeah. there one that you have a preference? Jory's like, have, yeah. I have the preference for number, November 21st and I would do my absolute best to make the October ones. Okay. I have no blockers, just 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 letting everyone everyone know that November 21st is the week of the Thanksgiving. So just yes. FYI. 
I guess I just hate Thanksgiving. Uh, that's uh, that's <laughs> I guess the takeaway from this. I have no blockers. I have a company all the dates. So you uh, do. Is it is it the Tuesday or is it just those specific dates? I have I work with um, public health, mm-hmm. and we have a, have a seminar for Spanish speakers, and it's the the first and the third Tuesday of every month. Okay. So all all the all the Tuesdays that you're giving is uh, the 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 first or the third Tuesday of the month. So once that the team uh, decides which is best. I will try to see if I can be uh, excused, but, but you, you know, that's my job. <laughs> so sure. I, I will try to see if I can work it out. Okay. Yeah, council meets on the first and third Tuesday, so we can't get out of that, but hopefully with enough yeah. notice. No, no problem. Okay. Whatever the group decides, I will try to work around. Okay. Any other comments from folks? Okay, if something changes or you realize, oof, or you're like, I absolutely will not do the week of Thanksgiving, just email me and we'll come back with a final date um, at next month's meeting. Okay, my next thing is we have hired a homeless outreach coordinator, which is really exciting for the city and the community, um, more importantly. So her name is Melly Paulo, and she starts next Wednesday, which is April 5th. Um, So she is part of the human services team, despite her work looking a little different than the rest of us, um, but we're really excited to bring her on board and the value and resource that we're going to be able to offer to folks who are experiencing housing instability and homelessness here in the community. So we are planning on, um, her name's Melly Paolo. I'll put it in the chat. Her full name is Calamelli, but she prefers Melly. Um, so we are going to have her join us at next month's commission meeting. So she most likely will not be a staff member that will be regularly attending, but we do want a chance for this group to meet her. Um, just so y'all can ask any questions and get to know her and also know that she's a resource, um, in case you hear from different folks in the community around different needs. So we're excited to have her join us at next month's meeting. And that segues into my last point, um, which is next month's meeting is in person. Um, So gentle reminder there. Um, It is in council chambers at City Hall, which is, from my understanding, historically, where this group used to meet every month before we moved into this uh, very funky COVID land. So, um, but yeah, just a reminder that that is in person and to plan accordingly. And we look forward to seeing everyone in person. To double check, um, may you, Jen, or uh, anyone else to know um, what date that is specifically? There's been some times where I thought it's one uh, Tuesday, but it was one before or vice versa. So it would be Tuesday, April 25th. Thank you. I also want to add, I personally... I'm going to be wearing a mask. So if y'all feel comfortable doing that, like I'm going to be doing that as well. I just got over a, um, my one and hopefully only bout of COVID recently. So um, I'm going, I've been wearing my mask pretty consistently anyway. So um, just to share that, 
I'm, I'm going to be doing it. So don't feel weird. I'm going to be doing it there. Thank you for sharing, Annie. Okay. And then I believe last but not least is we want, before we adjourn for tonight, we just want to take a few minutes and uh, make a space uh, to say thank you and honor really MJ and Michelle for all of their hard work and dedication, you know, of service to not only this commission, but to the city. Um, so if there are any commissioners that, uh, that they want to share a couple of thoughts and welcome Michelle, uh, I hope you had a great catch up with your friends from far, from far, from far, far away. Um, uh, and again, just any, if there's any commissioners or staff who would like to um, share their thoughts, um, I'll open it up. Yes, Michelle. Michelle first. And then Sorry, I'm going to turn off my camera because it keeps going crazy on me. Um, haven't figured out how to fix that. Um, MJ, I didn't uh, sign a card for you because I didn't get to it in time, but I wanted to say how much I've enjoyed. Uh, first of all, I've enjoyed so much working with everybody and really learned so much from all of you. And MJ, I really appreciated uh, the perspectives you brought. I really did gain a lot of insights from you um, and really appreciated your, you know, your uh, unique point of view. So thank you so much. Uh, for for you know sharing that with us, I appreciate it. Back at you. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. Jory. I, I am personally worried um, that we will ever be able to replace some these positions with someone as wonderful as the two of you. And I mean, that's I don't know if anxiety is a good compliment, but uh, my point being is that. Uh, you two are respectfully one of a kind, and I will miss you too. And I mean, don't be a stranger, especially if we see each other on like the street or like if you want to grab coffee or anything. Um, I'm always a fan of pho if you want to grab pho. Um, but yeah, take care and thank you so much. Thank you, Jory. And I'll, I'll go ahead and say some words. Um, really, just the last couple of years, MJ and Michelle, just I just really echoing everyone saying that I've learned so much from you. I think each of you brought like a very unique uh, perspective and lived experiences here that um, that really elevated the kind of discussions that we're able to have and make decisions, especially during the grant cycle. So really from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your contributions to this commissions and uh, we'll, you will be missed. And just to piggyback what Jory is saying, that in addition to running into each other on the streets, this this these type of meetings is an open meeting. So you're welcome to drop by and say hi. <laughs> Jen. Um, so I wrote out some notes because I get really nervous and weird about thank yous. So I promise it's genuine, but I am going to look at my screen as well in case I forget. Um, Michelle, I really appreciate just your dedication and commitment to furthering human services in particular for youth and elevating needs around youth in the community. I felt like during the grant funding cycle, that was something that you kept coming back to. Um, I also really appreciated kind of your 
your efforts and your questions and really trying to get to know the different programs and kind of the different nuances and different communities that the different programs serve. So I appreciated your thoughtfulness um, during the application cycle um, and just, you know, yeah, really centering youth and kind of needs of youth in the community. I think that's something that um, I'll be looking for from the rest of the commission and kind of elevating those efforts. So I know you have a lot of kind of current adventures um, with your nonprofit and the new adventure with your job. So just best of luck. And again, like to Gildas's point, it's a public meeting and you have our contact information. So if things come up or you hear of something, like, please don't be shy, please reach out. So thank you for your service. Um, we're very appreciative of it. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you. Yeah. And then MJ, um, you know, I was thinking about what I wanted to say. I'm like, gosh, she's just so passionate. And I'm going to miss that passion and the perspective that you bring. Um, I think Michelle said it as well. I, I just really appreciate how you come into these spaces and really push, including myself, um, to really center those with lived experience and thinking about whose experiences and perspectives are not in the room, as well as connecting us with resources and information to try to bring that into the space. Um, I also really appreciated um, the thoughtful questions that you had around kind of the different agencies and programs that we're supporting and really teasing out with some of the programs of like, is there like a component where there might be like a barrier because of someone's identity and feeling comfortable accessing services? So again, just really trying to bring in different perspectives and maybe things that we aren't thinking about in the conversation. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, I know you wear a lot of different hats in the community, so I am sure our paths are going to cross again, um, and I hope they do. So, and also to you as well, like, please, if you hear of something or if you have a question, like, please don't hesitate to reach out um, and say, are you aware of this? Or, hey, I thought of this to share with the commission. So I'd invite both of you to do that. So thank you as well, MJ. Thank you. Well, can I just jump in and say what an honor it has been to serve with all of you? And I have learned so much from this group and have so much respect for this group um, and how it really wrestles with big questions about how we sort of, you know, support the dignity and humanity of folks um, through systems that are not set up to necessarily respect their dignity and humanity the, the best. And I, um, I just love the work that this group has done and is doing and look forward to seeing what, what continues to come out of it. I think it's a real bright spot of Kirkland that this group of folks is, you know, the one weighing in on, on these issues for the city. So, um, yeah, I will stay in touch. I'm going to just drop my email address in, in chat because a couple of people have sent me theirs. Um, so yeah, don't be strangers. Hey, Gabby. Well, what can I say that hasn't been said already? The Thank you very much because I, I joined the commission not long ago and I felt very welcome by both of you. Um, I felt I feel your passion in your own personalities and in your own styles. And it's amazing how many things can be done when you have the willing to serve and the love. 
and the power within you, you know, in, in your person, in your spirit, to get things done and to make a difference and to bring change. And I see you both as people that do that. You bring change, you move things around. You have the power within you. So I admire you both. I commend you for all the, the things that you do individually and all the things that I have learned from you. Every time that I have come to a meeting here, I have learned something and I am very grateful that you shared that with me. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gabby. We've learned so much from you too. Well, thank you all for the wonderful words. And uh, this is not last. Um, there are a couple items. <laughs> so I think Michelle has an update and then Amanda. So why don't we go with Amanda and then and then Michelle, you can you can have the last word. <laughs> well, goodness, that's really hard to follow. That's wow. Um, I wanted to give just a really quick uh, update um, as uh, we're winding down the severe weather hotel voucher program. Um, and I wanted to give just a brief update on the folks that we were able to serve through that. Uh, Brief uh, background for those who may not be familiar, uh, Human Services has set aside funding each uh, year to be able to provide hotel vouchers for folks experiencing homelessness when temperatures um, get really cold, um, when it's snowy and, and wet out. Um, we partner with a local hotel. Um, we've had a really great partnership um, this year. Um, so for the 23 to 23 winter, um, we were able to support 24 folks, providing them respite during winter. That included um, 18 adults and six children. Um, that also, um, we were also able to support uh, three uh, shelter workers. So one of the things that we are also as a city support is uh, being able to ensure that uh, folks who are working in the shelters are safe, that they aren't having to get out in the roads to be able to go home and, and during those uh, weathers. It is really important to staff the shelters as well to be able to uh, support capacity. So giving just a quick update, hopefully there's no more winter weather. I'm hoping that spring weather is all we're going to experience moving forward, uh, but just wanted to give you that brief update um, in how uh, the city was able to support our neighbors who are unhoused this winter. Great. Thank you so much for the update, Amanda. And I would also hope that no more winter weather. I'm, I'm over it. All right. Last but not least, Michelle, take us, take us home. Okay. Thank you. So first, thanks, everyone, for all your kind words and Jory and Gildas, and you've all been just amazing to work with. And, uh, and good luck to you too, Melantha. Uh, you know, I think you're going to enjoy it. it's just a great, great experience and great group. So I just wanted to see on my uh, parting note, I had a great conversation with Mary Wilbur, who is with the Eastside Native American Program and the Lake Washington School District Native American Education Program. And I 
just told her that, you know, I was with the Human Services Commission and we'd like to know more about what they do. And, uh, and so I'll just tell you a few things. I'm hoping to pique your curiosity and inspire you to do, uh, see if there's some way that, you know, you may be able to partner with them and work with them. And what she told me is that they have 265 students in the program and that it looked to me, let's see, 20, 40, uh, 45, almost close to 150, she said were from Kirkland, um, 126 from the Lake Washington School District, two from the Bellevue School District, and 19 from the North Shore Dist School District, but that are actually Kirkland residents. And what was really interesting is that she said that these students were really, these families were relocated. They're not Washington State necessarily from Washington state tribes. She said they've been relocated because of our government policies from all across the country. And so she started telling me the tribes they're from, from the Kiowa Apache tribe, the Choctaw nation, the Clinket and Haida, the Navajo, a Spokane tribe, the Lumi nation. So they were from so many different tribal nations and not just from Washington state. And she said they're missing their culture because they've been removed from their, from their tribal lands and so forth. And so what she said they provide is a lot of cultural programming for these students. She's, they have a board of parents and some of the students are actually on the board as well. And they make the decisions about the programming and they do work on storytelling on native language um, making videos, cultural videos about their culture, but it's all seems to be revolving around learning about their culture. And so it sounded, uh, you know, given the historical injustices that have been done, I thought it really does look like an opportunity to, in some way, try to make up for some of those injustices. And uh, and so you, you know, I thought I would just leave you with what I learned and, you know, maybe that'll be something that will inspire you. And the reason I got in touch in the first place was not to pro propose an alternative, but it was because I thought initially we were talking about requests for proposals. And so that's why I started exploring this as, as somebody that you might consider asking uh, whether they would like to, if you do a call for proposals. Uh, and she did say that their federal budget is about 75,000 a year, but that includes her salary as well and so forth. So that she implied that they were on a fairly tight budget for the programming. So that's all I think that's just sort of a summary of what I learned. And it may be something uh, interesting for you to look into further. And I think Jen said that there is a meeting of staff with her coming up, right? So this is sort of just, a, well, there goes my camera again. I'm so sorry. Um, this is just sort of an uh, introduction to, uh, to what they're doing and, and that maybe you'll enjoy uh, looking into further. Thank you. Thanks so much. No, great. Thank you so much, uh, Michelle. I, I thought you, you took what a, what a great self-initiative to kind of help us learn more about this area. And I believe, Jen, you have, you mentioned in your email that you'll be meeting with, with them in, in, in a few weeks. So we look forward to an update at that time.
All right, are there any other items before we adjourn for tonight? All right, I just wanna say thank you again, MJ and Michelle for your services. And I do really sincerely, we bump into you very, very soon. So with that, I uh, would love to entertain a motion to adjourn the meeting. I would like to motion to adjourn. Okay, do I hear a second? All second. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to leave. That's okay. He's waiting for Jory. Jory always does. <laughs> Jory was trying, but like he doesn't really want to leave. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, again, best wishes, MJ and Michelle. And for the rest of you all, I really, really look forward to seeing everyone in person next month. So have a wonderful night, and then we will all see each other next month. Thank you. Thanks Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Thank Best you. of luck.